0: We as a church community, we've been studying the gospel of John for about a year and a half. And about two years ago, when we were planning out uh, kind of how the schedule would go, I knew that I wanted to preach this section of scripture on this particular morning. And so I've been preparing for this sermon for about two years. I haven't been preparing, but I've been thinking about preparing for this sermon for about two years, and I'm really excited to share some thoughts with you from the gospel of John. But before we do that, I want to pray, and I want to ask God to help me and to help us to hear what it is he wants to say to us today. Would you join with me in prayer? God, we thank you for your goodness and for your grace. We thank you, God, that you speak to us through the scripture. We thank you that in a, in a gathering like this, we can gather together and be reminded of your love for us and your grace for us that's revealed in the person and the work of Jesus, God, for myself, I pray that you would guard my lips. I I only want to say that, which is truthful and is helpful. And God, for each and every single one of us, I pray you would give us soft hearts, teachable hearts, uh, that we might receive what it is you have for us today. We pray this all in the name of our crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I have a question for you. Has, Has anyone here ever lost something? Okay. Some of you parents are actually doing a head count of your kids right now. Do I have all of them? Where are they? Maybe you've lost, you know, your wallet or your keys, or maybe you misplaced your coffee cup or something like that. Or maybe it's something more important. Maybe you parents, you have been in a public place and you misplaced, misplaced one of your children. I was thinking about this this week. Um, a few years ago, my wife and I, we, we went to a pastor's conference that was in Florida. And uh, we left our family dog little, little dog, little nine pound chihuahua named Missy, uh, with Joe, Joe, who is singing and leading right here. And I did not think to check the Yelp reviews on Joe's dog sitting service before we left, but I should have, uh, Joe, yeah, Joe, there you are. So I get a call. We're flying back from Florida and I get a call from Joe and he goes, Hey man, I'm really sorry to tell you this. Your dog escaped. And it was particularly bad because her collar had broken like a week before and she didn't have her tags on her. And so Joe and some other people were out like driving, looking for the dog. We're flying back from Florida. I was thinking about this because my wife and I are actually going to the same pastor's conference in Florida tomorrow. And we have a different dog sitter. I'll just say that. (laughs) Joe claims that it was, you know, it was him just trying to live out the old adage. If you love something, set it free, but I'm not buying it. So we get home and we're trying all of the all of the ways we can to find our dog we're looking on less pets group on on Facebook. We went to the different shelters, and she has a chip, and we're looking to see if anybody has scanned the chip, and we're doing all the different ways we could think of. And finally, after about two weeks, it has been a good long while, my wife goes, hey, maybe we need to go old school. Maybe we need to hang up some posters with, you know, like your phone number on it and like a picture of the dog. And I thought, who checks posters anymore? That's such an old-fashioned thing to say. But we did, and we hung up posters with my phone number on it. And let me just tell you, if you're going to hang up a poster with your phone number on it, you should expect to get some weird phone calls that have nothing to do with your dog. That's a different story for a different time, but about a month after we lost the dog, I'm sitting at a coffee shop, I'm doing some work for a class that I'm taking, and my phone rings. And I don't recognize the number, and so I silence the call and go back to working on my paper and I'm trying to concentrate and I'm trying to focus but I have this thing where if there is a single red dot on the screen of my phone I cannot concentrate. Is there any other weirdos in the room? Okay, thank you. And so I'm sitting there looking at this red dot voicemail thing and I'm like, okay, so I check it and the woman says, hey, uh, we saw your posters. I I think we might have your dog. So I pack my stuff up, and I call her, and I race to the address, and I go, and lo and behold, it's, it's her, and they've renamed her. They took her on a camping trip. Like, she had the best month. <laughs> she had the best month of her life. She was really, good job, Joe. You did great. Yeah, Thanks. <laughs> so I, I get her, and I, I, didn't, I didn't call my wife. I didn't tell anybody, and I, I show back up at the house, and she goes, what are you doing here? I thought you were working on schoolwork. And I, I turn, and I've got the dog under my arm, which, if you can hold the dog under your arm, is it even really a dog? But I, I, I carried it in, and my sister and her family were there, and they actually got it on video, and I, I, I was thinking about trying to play it, but it's not high enough quality for you to see, but it's this precious moment where, you know, the family dog is returned, and, and one of my daughters in particular just starts kind of like ugly crying, like just, oh, so sweet and so precious. This, this dog that was lost has now been found. And we spent all that time looking. We spent all that time seeking. And in the end, it was an old school flyer that ended up being the, the, the thing that worked. In this passage we're looking at today, Jesus asks this question to Mary Magdalene. He, he asks, uh, who is it you're seeking? Who, who are you looking for? And there's this idea throughout this passage that we're going to look at that all of us are seeking for something. All of us are looking for someone. And I believe that the answer is quite simply, we're all looking for Jesus, but maybe for different reasons and for different way and in different ways. You know, I asked a question a minute ago, have you ever lost something? And the, the reality is, yeah, us as individuals, we've all lost things. We know that feeling as individuals, but the Bible tells us that we collectively as humanity, we have all lost something and that something is closeness and connection with God, our father. When we were here singing a minute ago, we were, we were talking about that idea that God created everything good. You, you read the first two chapters of the Bible. There's a garden, And there's God and there's man. There's, there's Adam and Eve and they're walking together and they're enjoying closeness and friendship and fellowship. But because of folly and because of deception and because of humanity's desire to do life on our own terms, that relationship with God was lost. That is something that we collectively have lost. And so we read through the pages of the Bible and and God starts to promise that he would send a redeemer. He would send somebody who would reconnect us, would would re-engage us with God. And as we've seen through the gospel of John, when Jesus shows up, he starts talking that kind of talk. Jesus said things like, hey, we're all kind of like dead branches just laying in the yard, not useful, not living, not bearing any fruit. But when you trust in me, Jesus says, "You're, you're gonna be Grafted in. You're gonna be plugged into the vine, and now life and 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 the, the life that God has will start to move through your body and through your soul, and, and we're reconnected with God. And Jesus starts developing all these followers, and people start leaving their homes and they start leaving their occupations, and they're all going with Jesus, and they're believing this, this message he's saying that, that what we as humanity have lost can now be regained in the person of Jesus. A lot of excitement, a lot of deep, devoted, passionate following of Jesus. But then something really unexpected happens. Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is put on trial, a mock trial. Jesus is beaten and Jesus is scourged. And Jesus is ultimately crucified on a criminal's tree on a hill known as Golgotha. And for the followers of Jesus, they're sitting there thinking, this wasn't supposed to happen. Friends, you need to understand something, that the good news of Easter, the good news of the resurrection and the empty tomb only makes sense when we first understand the bad news of the cross. We spent time on on Friday, on Good Friday, exploring in depth the idea of the cross and Jesus going to the cross to die in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. But if you think just from the perspective of the followers at that time, they're sitting there thinking, how did this happen? We've already lost relationship with God. We've lost all of this stuff. We thought we found the one. We thought we had the one that was going to fix everything. How did we get here again? How did we lose it all again? So we're going to see Peter, John, and Mary, Mary Magdalene, particularly Mary today, We're going to see all of them as they're seeking for Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, I'll invite you to to, to read along with me. We're in John chapter 20. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. You can follow along on the screen. Chapter 20, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. By the way, the first day of the week is a Sunday Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. That is why followers of Jesus gather on Sundays to worship Jesus. It's been happening since the first days after his resurrection. Also, by the way, it used to be that Sunday was a work day. So people would get up, worship Jesus, and then go to work. You get to enjoy devil eggs this afternoon. So praise Jesus for that extra grace, right? Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. That's not supposed to be. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Friends, if you've been here for our series in the Gospel of John, who is that? That's John, that's our author. That's his way of referring to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out With the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. A couple of quick thoughts on these verses. First of all, Mary Magdalene is an amazing woman. Mary Magdalene is an amazing woman. Mary from Magdala, Mary the Magdalene, is how she's known. John's gospel was written a little bit later than the other ones, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke's gospel, we actually learn that Mary, she she was not a harlot, sometimes as she's portrayed in, in pop culture or even religious culture, but she was someone that Jesus delivered from seven demons. So she's someone who knew what it was like to suffer and to be under oppression, and Jesus delivered her from seven demons. And it says in Luke chapter eight, that as a result, she goes all in with Jesus. And she becomes one of his most devoted followers. In fact, it says in Luke eight, that she is one of the financers of Jesus ministry. That she helped provides the funds so that Jesus and his 12 apostles can go from town to town, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God behind the scenes. The one who's making it all work is Mary. And think about this. She's the first to discover the empty tomb. And in a moment, you're going to see she's the first to speak to the resurrected and risen Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you in the first century were trying to build a case for something that you knew wasn't true, if you're trying to make up a story to get people to believe something, you would not make the whole story rest on the testimony of a woman. Because in the first century, the testimony of a woman was not admissible in a court of law. How amazing is our Jesus that he chooses Mary Magdalene to be the messenger to the messenger, the apostle to the apostles, the one who goes and says, hey, bros, get off your butts. We got to go tell people Jesus is alive. Isn't that awesome? This is amazing. Mary Magdalene is an amazing, amazing woman. Another thing I noticed from these verses though, particularly in verse four, is, is that John is in better shape than Peter. Okay. This, they were running together, but the other disciple, John, outran Peter and reached a tomb first. I read a lot of commentaries the last few weeks, and nobody has any particular deep spiritual meaning about this verse. I think it really is John just being like, hey, Peter, hey, Peter, you remember the morning when Jesus rose? Yeah, man. You remember how I outran you? Yeah, nobody needs to know that. No, dude, I'm working on a book. I'm going to tell everybody. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) At least in my imagination, that's how it works. But here is what's significant. Here is what's significant. Here's here's the thing. Peter and John are running together. They received the message together. They were together, which is remarkable when you consider how the story left off with Peter denying Jesus not being present at his crucifixion, hiding in shame, there's something about his brother, there's something about his friend John, where I don't want to stretch it too far, but it sure seems like John went and got Peter. He said, let's sit together. Let's be together. Yeah, you've messed up bad, but, but we're still brothers. We're still friends. I think that John, in particular, is someone who's been so moved by the grace and the friendship of Jesus, that he knows not to ostracize Peter, even in his moment of his worst behavior. There's something there. That's a whole nother sermon. I'll preach it some other time. Second time through the gospel of John. Verse five. So John gets there first and he stoops to look into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he doesn't go in. Maybe he's afraid there was a grave robber. Maybe it's out of respect for the dead. Not entirely sure. But then Simon Peter came following him and just goes right into the tomb that's our Simon Peter, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. That would not make sense if there had been a grave robber. What grave robber is going to go in and steal a body, but take time to fold the laundry? By the way, apparently Jesus on the morning of his resurrection did take time to fold the laundry. So men... Then the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first. John's just getting it in there again. I reached the tomb first, just remember. Then John went in. Oh, and he saw and he, what's the word, sound city? He believed. And this is the point of the gospel of John. John has told us several different times that the whole reason he wrote this book was so that we might believe. John goes in, he sees it, and he believes. But, it says, They did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. So there's belief, but he still isn't really sure all what's going on. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and, and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, that, that's, a, that's a term of respect. I know in, in our culture, if I walk up, hey, woman, like that's not. But in their culture, it's like, it's ma'am, it's, it's madam, it's that sort of a thing. Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have laid him. First of all, she does an amazing job of interacting with angels and not freaking out, but I, I think it's because she's so singularly focused on Jesus. There's angels here. Fine. I just want Jesus. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Whether this is a, a kind of a spiritual blindness at the moment, just kind of waiting, or whether this has something to do with the fact that Jesus, when he, when he raised from the dead, Jesus went through something that as of yet no other human being has gone through, that Jesus passed through death and came back in resurrection glory and life. It's, it's, theologians wrestle with this kind of stuff, but it's probably not crazy to say that, that Jesus is just a little different than he was before. For whatever reason, we're not entirely sure. She doesn't recognize him. And Jesus said to her, he uses the same kind of formal term, ma'am, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Suppo- this is so loaded, you guys. Supposing him to be the gardener. Remember, Jesus' body was laid in a tomb that was in a garden. If you were here on, on Friday night, you heard us talking about that, that, that his, his body is laid in a garden tomb. So she thought he must be the gardener. And she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him. I I, want to fix this. I need to, I'll bring him back. And Jesus said to her, Mary, no more ma'am, no more formality, her name. And she turned and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher she now sees and knows that it is the Lord. When he speaks her name, the scales fall from her eyes. She is known individually by name and she falls and worships her savior. RCH Lenski, who's a, a, a Lutheran scholar and commentator, he says this, he says, when her own name is pronounced, she instantly recognizes that it's the voice of Jesus. Back in John 10, Jesus said the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name for they know his voice. It was the voice that Mary thought had been stilled in death forever. In that one word and its tone was all the love, sympathy, and helpfulness of Jesus and coupled with that an impressive seriousness, a deep gravity, an arresting grip. Miriam, my sister, my friend, I know you. And Mary is undone. What a beautiful portrait of a reunion. What a beautiful portrait of the Savior who knows his people by name. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. You got to imagine in this moment, right? Mary is like she's going to squeeze the life out of him again on accident, just don't go, don't go. I want to be with you. And Jesus says, don't cling to me. I have have to ascend to my father. I'm with you now. I I will be ascending to my father. Jesus has been telling them this for, for, for a long time. In that upper room discourse we we spent several months looking at, he said, I'm going to ascend to the Father. I'm going to be with the Father. Friends, there's a difference between the resurrection and the ascension. Jesus, raised from the dead, bodily, physically, appeared for a period of time to his followers, to his disciples. Upwards of 500 people saw Jesus. And then... He is now ascended to the right hand of the father where he sits on a throne and he rules and he reigns over all things. And one day he will come again and we will see him like Mary saw him. Did did anybody long for that day? But right now he says, don't cling to me. I still have to ascend to the father. Go, go to my brothers. Go get my bros and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Go get them. They need to see me before I ascend. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. And now the Jesus revolution has begun in earnest. We're going to continue next week and the following week to see Jesus interacting with Peter and and interacting with John, but I want to just push pause right here. Because I think we see enough in this interaction with Mary, and we can think about John and Peter to just kind of think about how Jesus meets us in in this place of of being an individual, being someone who's different than other people, of of uniquely being known by Jesus. You know, Jesus asked that question. You know, who are you seeking for? Who is it that you're who is it you're trying to find? And as a follower of Jesus, you know what I think the answer is. All the kids that spend time in Sunday school, you know what the answer is. Who are we seeking for? Jesus, good job. The risen Jesus is who the human heart is seeking for. But not all of us are seeking Jesus for the same reasons. Not each of us are looking for the Messiah from the same motivations. We, 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 We each are looking for Jesus. I really believe that. I really believe that every human being is looking for Jesus, but maybe for different reasons. And I was thinking down this line, I was preparing down this line, and I started doing some research, and there's, a, there's an old Puritan preacher, a guy named J.C. Ryle, who's one of my favorites, and I found this quote from him that says it better than I could say it. So if you'll let me, it's a little bit longer, but I want to read it to you. He says, let us learn from the case before us, specifically preaching on John chapter 20. He said, to make allowances for wide varieties in the inward character of believers— To do so will save us much trouble in the journey of life and prevent many an uncharitable thought. And have you ever had an uncharitable thought towards a fellow follower of Jesus? Yeah. And if not, someone you know has, and you can pray for them, right? He says, let us not judge brothers harshly and set them in a low place because they do not see or feel things exactly as we see and feel. And because things do not affect or strike them just as they affect or strike us. The flowers in the Lord's garden are not all of one color and one scent, though they are all planted by one spirit. The subjects of his kingdom are not all exactly of one tone and temperament, though they all love the same savior and are written in the same book of life. The church of Christ has some rank, some in its ranks who are like Peter and some who are like John and he forgot and some who are like Mary. Uh, Charles Spurgeon actually has in a sermon on this same sort of a thing, and Peter and John and Mary. But a place for all and a work for all to do. Let us all who love Christ in sincerity and thank God that they love him at all. The great thing is to love Jesus. What, what do you think that maybe Mary was seeking? When, she, when she's looking for Jesus, we know she's looking for Jesus, but why? Why? Why was Mary seeking for Jesus? And I would summarize it maybe in this. I think she's looking for freedom and her purpose. She's looking for the one who set her free from seven evil spirits. If any of you have ever known just that feeling of being trapped or being caught up in something that you can't yourself escape from, the one who sets you free, boy, you wanna wanna give yourself to that person. You want to rejoice. I had someone give me testimony just two days ago that they were under a significant mountain of financial debt and they made a few phone calls and all of the debt was taken care of and they went from being like, we're talking like tens and tens of thousands of dollars in debt to being completely debt free. They were wanting to do cartwheels. If you've ever known that feeling, you might know a little bit of what Mary was feeling when Jesus released her from these evil spirits. She's like, I'm going all in with that guy. The one who gave her life purpose and meaning. She's she's following Jesus even to the point of him being crucified. All the other disciples have left, and yet Mary is one of the only ones. Mary and John, our author, are the only ones standing there at the foot of the cross. She's looking for Jesus because he gave her freedom and he gave her life purpose. What about John, our author? He's running, he's run, he's running fast. He wants us to know he's running real fast. He's running to the tomb. He's running to the grave. Why? I think that John is the kind of guy who who values the understanding that Jesus provides as well as the friendship. Let me explain. It says that John believed and John time and time again in this gospel says, I want you to know and I want you to understand and I want you to believe. He's he's one of those guys that wants to figure everything out and to understand the big picture. And in Jesus, he, he gets that. Jesus says things like, you know, before the foundations of the earth, God, you know, set forth this plan, or I come from heaven, or here's my mission, and here's my purpose. Jesus is helping him to make sense of the world. I think John's that kind of guy. But John is also the one, it's not just some cold intellectual thing, John is the one that says that Jesus loved. Jesus loves all his disciples, but there is some sort of close personal friendship between Jesus and John. At the Last Supper, John is leaning on Jesus. Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. I think John was a deeply relational person who had found his best friend and he's running for the tomb, looking for him. What about for Peter? Peter, I think pretty clearly is looking for Jesus because he wants forgiveness and restoration. Peter and Jesus, it was, it was not a good series of events On the last supper, Jesus starts washing the disciples' feet, and Peter starts objecting and correcting Jesus, and and Jesus rebukes Peter. Knock it off. You have to let me wash your feet, or else you don't get to be a part of what I'm doing. And then in, in the garden, Jesus is praying, knowing that he's going to the cross to die for the sins of the world, and he says, hey... Brothers, will you stay awake and will you pray for me? I'm going to go over there, but will you stay awake and pray as well? What does Peter do? He falls asleep. And then when the guards come to arrest Jesus, Peter goes into attack mode and he cuts off the ear of one of the servants and Jesus corrects him in front of everybody and heals the servant's ear and said, Peter, that's not how my revolution's going down. We're not going to attack people with violence. He goes, I'm going to take on the violence of the world and so usher in God's good grace and peace and love. And then, worst of all, Peter denies Jesus three times publicly. And Jesus told him it was going to happen, and he still did it. You think Peter is running to the tomb, looking for some forgiveness, some, some absolution? Let me ask you, what are you seeking for? Many people in this room, many people, different personality types, different hearts, different wiring. You already know that I think the answer for what you're looking for is Jesus, but, but why? Some of you are like Mary and you're looking for freedom. You're looking for freedom from the chains that bind you. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that there is no greater freedom than is found in the resurrected Christ. Some of you are, are, are here looking for purpose. Why, why is my life even in existence? Why do I get up and go to work and come home and get up and go to work and come home and do this thing day in and day out? What's the purpose? What's the meaning of it all? Friends, I'm here to tell you that in the crucified and resurrected Christ, our lives find greater purpose and meaning than we ever could have thought possible. Some of you are like Peter. You're looking for forgiveness. You know the wrongs that you've done. You know the shame that you carry because of decisions you've made. And I'm here to tell you that the resurrected Christ is proof positive that God loves you and that your sins, though they are as red as scarlet, can be washed as white as snow. What are you looking for? Maybe you're like John and you're somebody who wants to Figure it all out. Well, guess what? In Jesus, all of the history of the world finds its meaning and purpose. Maybe you're, maybe you're someone who's just looking for friendship and relationship. Well, guess what? Jesus is the best friend that a human being could have ever asked for because he knows everything about us and yet he still acts in love toward us. Do any of you have friends like that? Even a little bit, it's a great thing, but they're not perfect. Jesus is. What are you looking for? Friends, I'm here to tell you. That what you are looking for is found in the crucified and resurrected Christ. Now, I want to pause. If this was a movie, if this sermon was a movie, I think it's a weird movie. Okay, but uh, go with me, okay? This is where the credits would roll but you would know because you've seen other like Avengers movies, you know that there's like this extra scene coming up, right? Some of you are like Marvel nerds. I know. Yes. Thank you. You just outed yourself. I'm a Bible nerd. I don't know which one's worse. Okay. So I want to pause because I've been speaking to you in very individual terms. And while all of that is true and all of that is, is, um, is completely, I think it's here, it's in the text, it's all right there. I want to invite you to zoom out. You know when they do those, like in the Avengers movies, they always go to like outer space and there's like some bigger thing happening and some guy's got on like a glove and they're like, oh, and all the Marvel nerds are like, you see that stone and it means this thing? And they're like, whoa, and like, you guys are nerds, okay? I'm about to do that with, with the Bible, okay? Because there was a word, there was a clue. It's not just that Jesus is meeting us individually. It's that Jesus is meeting us individually and he's sweeping us up into something bigger than we could have ever imagined. The clue comes in John chapter 19, verse 41. We looked at this on Good Friday. It says In the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. When you think about garden, you think about that theme in the Bible. We think about the Garden of Eden, where it all started. And we think about after mankind's fall into sin, how part of what the the curse that was pronounced was that the ground would produce thorns and thistles. I don't know about you. Have you looked at the world lately? Are there some thorns and thistles? Did you catch Mary's misunderstanding in verse 15? Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary, supposing him to be the gardener. Does John put words like that in just on accident? Or is he trying to tell us something? N.T. Wright, uh, Anglican bishop and author, says this Mary's intuitive guess that he must be the gardener, was wrong at one level and right, deeply right at another. This is the new creation. Jesus is the beginning of it. Do you remember when Pilate said, here's the man? Well, here he is, the new Adam, the gardener, charged with bringing the chaos of God's creation into new order, into flower, into fruitfulness. He has come to uproot the thorns and thistles and replace them with blossoms and harvests. I heard a quote this morning, I can't remember the source, but it was, it was Jesus on the other side of death looks a lot like a gardener. And so while you and I are met Individually, loved individually, called by name individually by this crucified and resurrected Messiah. He then calls us into something that is so much bigger than we could have ever imagined. The restoration of all things. It's not just that Jesus died and rose again. The promise is that all who place their faith in Jesus will also rise again and be resurrected like Jesus. And actually the promise is even bigger. It's that the entire cosmos itself will be reborn in Jesus. How amazing is that? That's an incredible thought. John, our our author here, many years later, he's the last living apostle. He's, he's spent his entire life going out there telling people, Jesus is alive. They killed him. He's still alive. It's amazing. You should follow him. They actually tried to kill him once. Uh, church history tells us they tried to boil him alive in oil and it didn't work. So he's, he's alive, he outlives all the other apostles and he has been exiled, put onto an island called Patmos where they say, just stay out there in this island until you die and go away. We're sick and tired of you talking about this resurrected Jesus. And while he's on this island, he, he has a vision. He has a vision, he writes it down in, in another letter, a book of the Bible we call Revelation. In, in Revelation chapter 21, he, he has this picture and he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. There's no more chaos. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, a better Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared beautifully like a like a bride dressed up for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That thing that we all lost as humanity, connection with God is restored in Jesus Christ. The promise is he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And then the one who is seated on the throne, who is that friends? It's Jesus seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. How many things? How many things? All things new, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, you are known by God. You are loved by God. He knows your name. He knows your motives. He knows your fears. He knows your joys. He knows all of it. And in this garden tomb, we meet the one who satisfies the longing of every human heart. And then he says, join me. As we go into the world, a world full of thorns and thistles, a world full of brokenness and hatred. And he says, will you join me in my work as gardener, bringing new life into the world? In a moment here, I'll pray and we're going to sing together. We're going to rejoice and worship our God who's making all things new. For some of you here today, you are a believer in Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. My hope and my prayer for you today is that you would be reminded of just how much God knows you. He, when you were, you know, just the other day, driving home by yourself in your car, saying those things, what you thought to yourself, God was listening and he knows the frustrations. He knows the fears. He knows the longings. He knows the desires and he is there for you. And he's calling you out of your small picture of the world into his grand picture of the world of seeing all things made new. For some of you here today, you've never entrusted your life to Jesus. You've not been like, like John who goes into the tomb and believes. And today the invitation is simply this. Let Jesus be your rabona, your Lord, like Mary. Jesus, you are in charge of my life. You are the one that gets to say what is and isn't. I I see you. I see that you died for me. I see that you rose again to offer me new life. My heart's been looking for something. My heart's been searching for something. Jesus, I believe it's you. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite the musicians to come up. Would you join with me as we pray? God, for each and every single one of us, we bring our hearts before you here today we all have longings, we all have desires, we all have needs. And I pray today, Lord Jesus, that we would look at all of those longings and those needs in the light of the gospel, in the light of the work that you have done for us, the work of redemption. God, I pray for myself and for others who are followers of you, would you forgive us for those times when we get caught up in our own small little stories? And would you remind us that we're caught up into the biggest, most incredible story that the world has ever known, the restoration of all things. God, for anyone who's here today who is yet to entrust their lives to you, to give their hearts to you, God, I pray that you would do that work that only you can do, of, of grabbing a hold of their heart with your love and your grace and your power. Friends, if you're here today, I'll just, I'll just lead in, in a simple prayer. The, the specific words are not what's important. What really matters is your posture before Jesus. God, I, I confess that I'm a sinner, that I've been disconnected from the source of life, that you created me for close relationship, but there's been brokenness in that relationship and distance in that relationship. And so Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, I believe that you died and you rose again to offer me new life. And I give my life to you today. I want to be caught up in your story. I want to be caught up into this work of all things becoming new. Thank you for meeting me where I am. Thank you for knowing me by name. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you're someone who who today is just, praying that prayer and, and meaning it, or, or however you're reaching out to God, I, I, I want to have the opportunity to just talk with you afterwards. Myself or one of the other leaders would love to talk with you, pray with you, so that we could point you to some next steps and direct you towards some, some next things as, as a follower of Jesus. But for each and every single one of us now, we're going to worship our King Jesus. And we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate because he's making all things new. He's the one that we're looking for. Amen? Friends, Christ is risen. And all things, even in the darkest moments, we have hope because our Savior passed through death and came through into new life. We get to celebrate and we get to rejoice. Amen? Let's do this. Let's stand to our feet and let's sing and celebrate our King Jesus now.